like us to take our Bibles and turn to Matthew, the 16th chapter, please. Matthew, chapter 16, the first six verses. It says, And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up, and testing him, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. I guess it's verses 5 and 6 that I really want to center in on. Verse 5 says, And the disciples came to the other side and had forgotten to take bread. Then verse 6, And Yahshua said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 1987, I wrote a letter that I think a lot of you have probably read copies of, a letter to Dr. James Dobson. And in that letter, I made the point of saying that today most Christians are not uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, let alone even aware of it. Or I guess I probably said that in reverse, that we're not aware of it, let alone beware of it. But here in this passage, Joshua makes a very clear statement that we're to watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, as we examine that particular verse, verse 6 of this chapter, I think there's probably three questions, or at least there's probably more, but at least three questions that should come to our mind when we hear that statement made by Joshua the Christ. Questions that I believe need to be answered. Questions first. The first one being, well, who are the Pharisees? The second being, what is their leaven? And the third, why are they and their leaven so condemned by Yahshua, or at least warned against by Yahshua? Well, let's begin. By, let's begin by looking at the first of those three questions, and that is, who are the Pharisees? And I, wanna, I want to answer that question from at least three different sources. The first one being from dictionary definitions. I want to read to begin with from... A definition on the Pharisees from Zondervan's Pictorial Bible Dictionary under the heading of Pharisees. Now, it's quite a lengthy passage, so I won't read it all, but I've underlined some of the pertinent uh, portions that I, that I think that uh, we should take a look at. Under Pharisees in Zondervan's Pictorial Bible Dictionary, it begins by saying, Of the three prominent societies of Judaism at the time of Christ, Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes, the Pharisees were by far the most influential. A little bit later it says, It is believed the organization came out of the Maccabean Revolt, 165 B.C. There was, however, a group of Jews resembling the Pharisees as far back as the Babylonian captivity. That should be of interest. The name Pharisee, which in its Semitic form means the separated ones, separatists, Uh, And then it goes on, according to Josephus, their number at the zenith of popularity was more than 6,000. A little bit later, ultimately, Phariseeism and Judaism became almost synonymous. Another important point that I think should be interesting. And then continuing, it says, the rise of the Jewish scribes who were closely associated with the Pharisees also gave great impetus to Jewish legalism. The Pharisees, who were more of a fraternal order or religious society than a sect, were the organized followers of these experts in interpreting the scriptures. They formalized the religion of the scribes and placed it into practice. This is why the scribes and Pharisees are often mentioned together in the New Testament. A little bit later, the religious, they were were known as the religious leaders of the Jews. A little bit later, Josephus, a contemporary Jewish historian, aptly describes them as, quote, a body of Jews who profess to be more religious than the rest and to explain the laws more precisely, end quote. Later, it says, Formulation and adoption of Mosaic law by scribe and rabbi increased tradition and a more rabid separatism from almost everything resulted in, in almost a new religion, much the opposite from that handed down in the covenant by the prophets. A little bit later, They accepted the Old Testament scriptures and fostered the usual Jewish messianic hope which they gave a material and nationalistic twist. And then the the last paragraph reads, and this one I want to particularly center in on. Listen carefully to what this says. Very last paragraph, the very last thing someone would read in the pictorial Bible dictionary, 
um, is this last paragraph, which I think would hold the greatest emphasis on what they understand from this source about the Pharisees. Last paragraph begins, The picture of the Pharisees painted by the New Testament is almost entirely black. But the discriminating Bible student should bear in mind that not everything about every Pharisee was bad. It is perhaps not just to say all Pharisees were self-righteous and hypocritical. Many Pharisees actually tried to promote true piety. What we know as Phariseeism from the New Testament was to some degree a degeneration of Phariseeism. Jesus condemned especially their ostentation, their hypocrisy, their salvation by works, their impotence and lovelessness, not always, not always Pharisees as such. Some of the Pharisees were, member of the, were members of the Christian movement in the beginning, Acts 6-7. Some of the great men of the New Testament were Pharisees, Nicodemus, John 3-1, Gamaliel, and Paul. Uh, they give scriptures for those. Paul does not speak the name Pharisee with great reproach, but a title of honor, for the Pharisees were highly respected by the masses of the Jewish people. When Paul says he was, quote, in the matter of the law a Pharisee, end quote, Philippians 3, 5, he did not think of himself as a hypocrite, but claims the highest degree of faithfulness to the law. In similar manner, church leaders today might say, we are the Pharisees. Much of modern scholarship, however, has cast the Pharisees into in too favorable a light. When one reads our Lord's heated denunciation of Phariseeism in Matthew chapter 23, where he specifically lists their sins, one has not only a true but a dark picture of Phariseeism as it was at the time of Christ. Now, especially re- centering on that last paragraph, I hope you noticed something about what was, what was found there. It's what we know as under the title of dialectics. You know, you come away from reading that, it certainly had some pertinent information about the Pharisees of, of that time and where they came from and how many there were at their quote-unquote zenith Uh, of their existence but then it ends with that last paragraph and one is left with are the Pharisees good or are the Pharisees bad you know it was a total dialectical maneuver because he really didn't know how to take it it was two or three sentences that would say something good about the Pharisees two or three sentences there would be something bad about the Pharisees two or three sentences there would be something good about the Pharisees again well are the Pharisees to be considered something good or are the Pharisees to be considered something bad? Let me now go to another dictionary. This is Smith's Bible Dictionary. And again, I won't read the whole section, but uh, uh, a part of it that I've underlined. Into the, down into the first paragraph, it says, A cursory perusal of the Gospels is sufficient to show that Christ's teachings was in some respects thoroughly antagonistic to theirs. He denounced them in the bitterest language. And then it lists several scriptures to verify that. And then it says, Indeed, it is difficult to avoid the conclusion that his repeated denunciations of the Pharisees mainly exasperated them into taking measures for causing his death, so that in one sense he may be said to have shed his blood and to have laid down his life in protesting against their practice and spirit. I don't know if you caught that or not, but hardly... Or maybe I should say, even worse than simply dialectics in this situation, it lays the blame of the Pharisees almost on Yahshua himself. I don't know about you, but I find that very interesting that two quote-unquote Christian Bible dictionaries would resort to that um, in regards to the Pharisees. I think we'll understand more as we go on here why that may be. You know, I also looked at Webster's Dictionary on the Pharisees. I also looked at some other commentaries on the Pharisees, specifically in regard to this passage and a few of the others in the New Testament, McGarvey's Fourfold Gospel and Barnes Notes to the New Testament. But it was interesting that within nothing, none of those that I just read to you, and I didn't skip it, as it, there was, it wasn't in there, nothing in those that I already read to you nor in Webster's Dictionary, nor in those commentaries that I just mentioned to you, is anything uh, pointed out that would seem to reflect the idea that the Pharisees continued to exist after the first century in which Yahshua gave that warning to beware of their, their leaven. You know, from all the sources that I 
have at my disposal from all the sources one would be led to believe that the warning by Yahshua was only a first century warning and that there is no longer any reason to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees for the Pharisees are no, are no longer with us. But are they with us today? Well, that leads us to the second uh, source of answering the, that particular question, and that is the church's definition for Pharisees today. Do the mainline, mainline denominations and churches believe the Pharisees exist today? Now, let me go to another book. This will be uh, Haley's hand, uh, Bible Handbook, which is a very well-known book and used by much of Christendom and in some sense could be uh, suggested to be a representation of what much of Christianity believes today. Do the modern denominations and churches today believe that the Pharisees exist or continue to exist in this day and age? Haley's Bible Handbook on page 445. It says, but in the main, they were known for their... This is under uh, chapter 23 of Matthew 23 where the Pharisees received such a scathing from Yahshua the Christ. Uh, part of the first paragraph it says, But in the main they were known for their covetousness, self-righteousness, and hypocrisies. Then the last paragraph under chapter 23 regarding the Pharisees, it says, Those fellows did not all die in that generation. So it begins to answer the question. continues, though. Through all the centuries, the church has been cursed with leaders exactly described in the 23rd chapter of Matthew irreligious professional religionists parading themselves in holy garments, pompous fellows, self-important, strutting around like lords, preaching religion, yet having none. So according to Haley's Bible handbook, they still exist, quote-unquote. They're still amongst us today. The churches through the centuries, according to Haley's, hand, uh, uh, Haley's Bible handbook, has seen leaders of that kind throughout all of her history. You know, I can, myself, I can recall, I'm sure many of you can too, um, at least some of you from the same church background that I came from, I'm sure that you can remember, not so far back, all the discussion where uh, we used to hear of the Pharisees who, who live amongst us or who lived amongst us at that time. You know, I can, I can recall hearing and speaking of the Pharisees in our midst. You know, every denomination has them. Every denomination has them. They're the legalists and the, and the hypocrites that are in our midst. Here's an article that, uh, again, I suspect some of you may have read. It's, called, it's from uh, the periodical that used to be produced right here in Gary, Nebraska, called The Gospel Guide, Volume 20, Number 12, December 1979. title of the first article in the gospel, of this issue of The Gospel Guide is entitled, Are the Pharisees With Us Today? Anybody recognize that? Remember reading that particular article? Well, I'm going to embarrass the, the author of this. Let me first share with, share with you some of what this author has to say in regards to that particular question as a title for this article. Are the Pharisees with us today? It says, however, something somewhere along the way must have gone wrong, for in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, we see the Pharisees described as self-righteous, hypocritical, legalist, religious formalists. Do such people exist today in the religious world and in the church? To determine that, let's look at some characteristics of the Pharisees and possibly relate them to our age. He then mentions that they're hypocrites in the next paragraph, and then he compares their hypocrisy with hypocrisy that is found in the churches today. He then went on to say that they placed great emphasis on the outside, outside appearance and very little on the inside. And again, he makes the comparison from what was described in Matthew 23 and what's happening in the church today. He does the same with the fact that they were inconsistent. Later, he says that they were politicians. Later, that they became self-appointed leaders of God. Later, he says, always thinking the worst in people. Later, he says, teaching as precepts of God, the doctrines of men, is another characteristic of the Pharisee. And then the last paragraph, he asks again, are the Pharisees with us today? And then it says, this article is to identify 
the very last sentence of this article, he says, in conclusion, he says, this article is to identify the characteristics of the Pharisees. Jesus said, beware of the Pharisee, or excuse me, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. You know, this whole article went into not only describing the, or giving a description of the Pharisees of Yahshua's time, but to point out that the Pharisees certainly are with us today. They're in the church, and there are many who have all of those same qualities here in the church today. Anybody know who that was written by? Again, it was 1979, December 1979. How about Pastor Pete Peters? Now, he'd be embarrassed if he knew that I, and he may find out about it, if he knew that I had read that article, especially in relation to the Pharisees and especially in how he produced and, and or at least wrote that article. Well, let me ask you again the question. Do the churches, in light of Pastor Pete Peters' 1979 article, in light of what uh, uh, Smith's, or excuse me, uh, Haley's Bible Handbook had to say, and in, in light of what so many denominations, I'm sure, are claiming today, let me ask the question again. Do the churches and denominations believe the Pharisees exist today? I'm glad you guys are smart enough to shake your heads the right way. No, they don't believe the Pharisees exist today. They believe that Phariseeism exists today. And the Phariseeism that I just described and that Pete Peters mentioned in that particular article does exist today in the churches. And it needs to be dealt with. But let me ask you, is there a greater danger today that in most church settings is not being dealt with when it comes to the Pharisees and their leaven. Are there literal Pharisees today in existence? You know, I think if I, I'm sure you'd, you'd all agree with me, you probably all know this, that you were to, if you were to ask 90% or more of the, the churches today that question, are there literal Pharisees today? I think you know as well as I do, they would say no. They would say, yes, Phariseeism exists. It's right here in our church. Now, I can tell you who it is. But they'd say, no, no, there's no Pharisees. The Pharisees, they went out in the first, second century. After 70 AD, they just kind of disappeared off the scene. But are there literal Pharisees today? And if there are, if so, why aren't our people today being warned or given the same warning that Yahshua gave in, in uh, Matthew chapter 16? Well, that brings us to the third source in answering the question, and that's Judaism's definition of, of, of uh, not only Phariseeism, but the Pharisees themselves. Let me begin by sharing a uh, definition from the 1905 Jewish Encyclopedia. Quote, Henceforth, Jewish life was regulated by the Pharisees. The whole history of Judaism was reconstructed from the Pharisaical point of view. And a little bit later it says, Phariseeism shaped the character of Judaism and the life and thought of the Jew for all the future. End quote. Here's another one from the Universal Jewish Encyclopedia, 1943, coming forward in time. Under the title Pharisees it says, quote, the Jewish religion as it is today traces its descent without break through all the centuries from the Pharisees. End quote. Did you catch that? Through all the centuries without break from the Pharisees. And then in the forward to the first edition of the book entitled The Pharisees, The Sociological Background of Their Faith by R Rabbi Louis Finkelstein. Again, I'm sure all of you have heard this before, but let me share it again for the sake of the tape. Um, and let me mention, too, that uh, for those who may not know, Rabbi Louis Finkelstein, this is a book. It's not their encyclopedia. It's not their or one of their encyclopedias, as I've just quoted from, but still a very pla uh, plausible source of understanding uh, from one of their experts what Judaism is today and whether Phariseeism exists today. For Rabbi Louis Finkelstein, who was head of the Jewish Theological Seminary of New York, was one of the 120 Jews chosen by the Kihelas, which, is, which means Jewish communities, of the world in 1937, he was chosen as one of the outstanding luminaries on Judaism who were alive at that time. He was one out of 20 of the best 
in representing Judaism at that time. Listen to what he has to say in the foreword. He says, Phariseeism became Talmudism. Talmudism became medieval rabbinism. And medieval rabbinism became modern rabbinism. But throughout these changes of name, uh, and a little bit later it says, the spirit of the ancient Pharisee survives unaltered. When the Jew reads his prayer, he is reciting formulae prepared by pre-Maccabean scholars. When he dons the cloak prescribed for the Day of Atonement and Passover, five, he is wearing the festival garment of ancient Jerusalem. When he studies the Talmud, he is actually repeating the arguments used in the Palestinian academies. And then a little bit later it says, from Palestine to Babylonia, from Babylonia to North Africa, Italy, Spain, France, and Germany, from these to Poland, Russia, and Eastern Europe generally, ancient Phariseeism has wandered. How has it wandered? Did it go out of existence? Is it a term that's normally used in this day and age? Is it a familiar term other than what we find in the Bible? Not necessarily so, except for the chosen few who have done their homework to study into it. How has it wandered? How has it continued? Well, very clearly from these sources, it's continued in and through modern-day Judaism. Judaism is Talmudism, which is Phariseeism. The three are synonymous, always have been, and I'm sure always will be. And all of a sudden, in light of Judaism's definition of who the Pharisees are, and whether they, whether they, have, they continue to exist or not, all of a sudden, Yahshua's warning can be seen in a whole different light than what is normally presented throughout Christendom today. All of a sudden, it becomes even much more real. And the threat becomes even greater than ever expected or, is, or as is being expected, is expected or, or anticipated by modern-day Christianity today. Now, let me ask you, why aren't the majority of churches, if this is the case, if they admit it so openly within their sources, why aren't the majority of churches today not being warned against the literal Pharisees and their leaven, as found uh, in Matthew 16? Now, could it be, could it simply be because a lot of ministers today know nothing about those claims? I think that's probably, for the biggest majority, that is certainly the case. But let me state this. You know, as well as I do, that with a large percentage of those who call themselves ministers today, if that they wouldn't warn their flocks or their congregations about the leaven of these Pharisees if they did know. You know that as well as I do. That is the case. Why? Somebody say, well, why wouldn't they? They're good. They're godly men. Well, it, it reminds me of, um, or of a good case in point is a, uh, a North Carolina Baptist preacher that I just have heard of here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, been on doing some counseling on the phone with a couple who are planning to get married. And uh, a North Carolina preacher, um, they had gone to him and asked if they would, this, this was the, the girl's preacher, and they'd gone to this man to ask him if, if, if he would be willing to marry them without a state marriage license. And this was his, at least his initial reply. He says, now, I don't know if I can do that because I don't know, because I really don't want to jeopardize my position with my congregation. I don't know if they'd like that or not, and they may kick me out if indeed I did such a thing. Well, he ended up completely denying their request came up with some other lame excuse because he certainly knew that wasn't a good one. And the one he came up with was even worse. Why wouldn't some preach on this issue? Boy, if they won't even, if, if a man like this, a man, quote unquote, of the cloth, as they say, won't even pre preach a, a marriage ceremony without the state's approval, you know they're certainly not going to preach against the leaven of the Pharisees as volatile a subject as that is today as well. You know, I'll never forget the, the uh, Sunday morning sermon that was directed specifically at me uh, it was just some few years back before I was booted, quote-unquote, booted out of the church that I was an evangelist with in Aurora, Colorado. 
I'll never forget that message that was aimed at me and the preacher who stood up there in front of the, the, the pulpit ministry who stood up in front of the congregation that Sunday and said that there are certain doctrines that you just don't preach on, whether they're truth or not, if people might be offended if you do. And that's not word for word, but I'll guarantee you that's what he, that's, that's, that's what he said. That's what he taught. That's what he preached. Matter of fact, I've never seen my wife mad at a preacher in my life except that one Sunday. Um, not only because of those kind of statements, but also because he was preaching. She knew who, exactly who he was preaching it at. You know, I, I won't. I, I, it's not that I'll ever forget that. But I won't forget that message because it was directed at me. Matter of fact, I was honored. But the very fact that he had had the audacity to say such a thing, that there are certain things you just don't preach on it, truth or not, if people would be offended. Do you know how much of Yahshua's teachings in the New Testament would have to be done away with if that was the gauge on whether it could be used or not? Do you have, do you have any guess at how much it would be? Three-fourths? Somebody said 100%. Well, here's a newspaper article that tells us. Just got this, this last week. It's from uh, uh, the Ledger Star, Los Angeles Times News Service, Monday, March 4th, 1991. They tell us how much. Jesus' vote cuts 80% of his sayings. Let me just read the first paragraph to you. The provocative Jesus Seminar Sunday concluded six years of voting on what the Jesus of history most likely said ruling out about 80% of words attributed to him in the Gospels and emerging with a picture of a prophet sage who told parables. Nobody's going to get so or parables. But boy, we certainly have to get rid of everything else that he said. That was religious folks, by the way, that did that. That was represent, 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 uh, representatives from several denominations amongst quote-unquote Christendom. Yeah, we just cut out 80% of it. Boy, if it would dare offend anybody, get rid of it. What else may have to go at the same time? Here's another one I had in my, my uh, files from a little bit further back, September 16th, 1989, from the Dallas Times-Herald. Title, Old, New Testament Labels Offensive to Jews. Let me read part of it. It says... New York, the Old Testament may be that to most Christians, but it's certainly not, not that to Jews who are for, who, whose forebears produced it. Now, we know that's not the truth to begin with. They want to promote that as if the Old Testament is what they teach and believe, and we'll find out that that is certainly not the case, and that it was their forebears, which, of course, we know is nothing but a lie and, and uh, untruthfulness to begin with, but they want to promote that. It helps them. Anytime they can stir something like something up like this, they can just help to promote their cause. Anyway, that's what's said. The second, it goes on, the secondary rating implied in the Christian designation is one of the interreligious scars handed down through the centuries, but it, but it and other linguistic sore spots are being examined for the possibility of better names. They don't like, they don't like the fact that we call the Old Testament old and the New Testament new goes on a little bit later it says when Christians say Old Testament that implies it's out of date inferior that offends Jews and if that's what Christians are doing with it it ought to offend us too the church is searching for some alternative well I'd like to know what is the church that's searching for this alternative going to do with Jeremiah chapter 31 it talks about a new covenant it was made with not the Jews the house of Israel and the house of Judah that certainly implies that there was an old covenant as well. Here's another one. What else may have to be, if you're going to get rid of things just because it offends people, what else is going to have to be, be gotten rid of? Here's a uh, news clipping from, uh, let's see if I got even got a 1989 Detroit Free Press. I guess is all I've got on this one. Bible reworded for 1990s readers. What's going to have to go? subheading on the next page it says two translations reword bible for the 1990s readers sexism racism out oh, it's a sexist racist book we just got to take that kind of stuff out of it that's not proper for this generation in this age it might offend somebody you know regretfully a large percentage of 
Christendom does not know. They have not been told. It's been with, the information has been withheld from them for them to even know that the Pharisees are still amongst us today as Judaism makes very clear through its sources. But, even, but what is even more regretful is the fact that even if they knew, it is probably very likely that the biggest majority of them wouldn't teach it or, or give the same warning that Yahshua gave in the first century. But then maybe most of Christendom is not receiving the same warning given by Yahshua because the Pharisees are no longer this, of the same mold as they were in the first century. Well, in order to know or to determine whether that's the truth or not, we need to get a good picture of what, what the Pharisees were at the time of Yahshua. You know, how are the Pharisees described in the New Testament? You know, reserved for the Pharisees are some of the most castigating denunciations found in the scriptures. They were called, and I won't give you the references because there's so many, but all you have to do, anybody who would read the Gospels knows that this is the case, and you can easily easily uh, find the passages if you, if you debate whether these things were actually said about anybody in the scriptures, whether they, ever, whether they were ever said about the Pharisees, just simply get a concordance and look up the word Pharisee and in the Gospels for the Gospels and look at the passages. But here's some of the things that they were called. They were called the foolish ones, hypocrites, blind guides, evil and adulterous, whitewashed tombs, serpents, brood of vipers, and murderers. And all of that, all of those things were said by Yahshua himself. Now, if you don't believe me, you can go and you can check it out for yourself. It's all there within the four Gospels. You know, we've and we've already seen that the Jewish authorities have claimed that Judaism today is the same as Phariseeism of Yahshua's day. That's the description of Phariseeism. If that's the description of Phariseeism of Yahshua's day that he gave warning of, and Phariseeism became Judaism then that's also a description of Judaism today as well. You know, but d d literally, do those deflammatory remarks or labels fit modern-day Judaism today? You know, I think it would probably be, matter of fact, I know it is. You and I, all of us probably in this room, know that it, is, that it would be very difficult to convince the average Joe down in the corner that those same remarks made there of the Pharisees of the first century still fit the Jews, or would, would fit the Jews today. Well, why? why? Why would it be so difficult to prove that to the modern-day fellow down in the corner today, the average citizen? Well, I think if we find out what Yahshua meant by the leaven of the Pharisees, we'll find out why it is so often so hard to convince the average Joe down there on the corner. Let's start. What is leaven to begin with? Let me go uh, to a couple different sources just to, for a description of leaven, or at least one source. Uh, I'm just, I have this written here from McGarvey's Fourfold Gospel. On this particular, comment, commenting on this particular passage that we used as a text, he says, quote, Leaven, which answered to our modern yeast, was a symbol of a secret... Listen to this, and I think it's... Well said. He may not have addressed the fact that the Pharisees are today, but this is well said. Again, he says, Leaven, which answered to our modern yeast, was a symbol of a secret, penetrating, pervasive influence, usually of a corrupting nature. End quote. A secret, penetrating, pervasive influence, usually of a corrupting nature. Just within that def definition of that description of leaven, should help us, begins to help us understand why the average Joe down there would have a hard time believing that that same description fits Jews today. Well, how is leaven of the, not just leaven, but leaven of the Pharisees described in the scriptures? Turn with me, if you would, back to Matthew chapter 16. And we'll jump down to verses 11 and 12, and we'll find the same warning given again, and then the explanation of what Yahshua meant by it, because we know, I won't read it, but we know that the apostles didn't understand at first what he was talking about. He said, well, are we not to buy bread from them? You know, is, it their, is their bread wormy or something? You know, they didn't, they didn't know what it meant. So back down into verse 11, we start to, verse 11 and 12, we, get, we begin to get an explanation of what is meant 
when Yahshua warns them of the leaven of the Pharisees. Verse 11, it says, How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Verse 12, all of a sudden the light went off. It says, Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, if you also turn with me to Luke chapter 12, it's another account of this Luke's account of basically the same situation, or at least a, if not the same account, I didn't check if it's the exact same account, but another, another if not a, the same account, another time in Yahshua's life where he's dealing with the same situation, giving the same warning. Luke chapter 12, in verse, in verse 1, it says, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together, that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So in the scriptures, the leaven of the Pharisees is described with two terms. The leaven of the Pharisees is the teaching of the Pharisees, and the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Now it almost seemed as if those two passages are contradictory to one another, that they don't harmonize. But they harmonize perfectly when you really understand the Pharisees, and especially in light of many of the claims that they make today. You know, basically, you put the two together, and uh, you could just call it, the, the, you could identify the leaven of the Pharisees as being deceptive instruction. He said the leaven was their teaching. He said their leaven was hypocrisy. It's deceptive instruction. And in light of that, let me read which I, uh, another from Another commentary, Barnes Notes in the New Testament. Another passage concerning the leaven of the Pharisees, or another uh, commentary on the, on the leaven of the Pharisees concerning this particular passage that I think is just excellent in, in what is said. Concerning verse 6, or in comments to verse 6, uh, Barnes Notes writes, he says, leaven is used in making bread. And then he goes on to say, it is, it, its use is to pass through the flour and cause it to ferment or to swell and become light. Listen carefully. It passes secretly, silently, but certainly. None can see its progress. So it was with the doctrines of the Pharisees. They were insinuating, artful, plausible, they concealed the real tendency of their doctrines. They instilled them secretly into the mind and they pervaded all the faculties like leaven. Barnes may not have identified the fact or shared the fact that the Pharisees are here today, but he certainly described what Phariseeism is and does and describes what Judaism is and does today because Phariseeism or Judaism today is nothing less than Phariseeism. Again, you could look at the leaven of the Pharisees in light of the definitions found in the scriptures and in light of the definition there given by Barnes Notes as being, I don't think it would be stretching it, to call it instruction with ulterior motives. You know, there's usually not too much reason to give a warning to beware of something you know is bad, or something that is dangerous. You know, if everybody in the neighborhood knows that your dog bites, you usually don't have to put the sign up to beware of the dog. Everybody knows that you don't walk into that yard. But it's the dog that everybody doesn't know bites is the one you've got to give the beware of. Or you've got to let people be, know that they need to beware of. Same today. It's instruction. That seems possibly very good on the outside. But when you get down to its core and its real purpose, you find out how destructive and, and uh, immoral it possibly is. Instruction with ulterior motives. Let me share with you some Jewish claims to the same. Let me begin with sharing you some passages from the Talmud. The Talmud, I'm going to give you three sources in relation to this. Relation basically in, in the fact that Judaism is deceitful, um, that it has the right to lie, according to the Talmud. I may not get the titles of these books out of the Talmud correct, so bear with me if you know that they're pronounced some other way, but I'll do the best I can. This is from Baba Kama, 113b. There it declares that a Jew is permitted to lie to a Christian and that the name of God is not profaned if done so. 
from Zoar I-60A. Zoar I-60A proclaims that Jews must always try to deceive Christians. And then from Iori Dea 148, it commands the Jews to always hide their hatred of Christians. Sounds pretty deceptive. Sounds like they're being... It sounds as if deception is being promoted as one of the mainstays of their their, uh, foundations. Now keep in mind, in light of the Talmud, keep in mind that the Universal Jewish Encyclopedia says that that the Jewish religion as it is today traces its descent without a break through all the centuries from the Pharisees. And then it continues, their leading ideas and methods found expression in a literature of enormous extent. And a little bit later it says, the Talmud is the largest and most important single piece of that literature. And the study of its essential, excuse me, and the study of it is essential for any real understanding of Phariseeism. That was from the Universal Jewish Encyclopedia again. Herman Wouk, in the, in the work entitled The Talmud, Heart's Blood of the Jewish Faith, said this, quote, the Talmud is to this day the circulating heart's blood of Jewish of the Jewish religion. Whatever laws, customs, or ceremonies we observe, whether we are orthodox, conservative, reform, or merely spasmodic sentimentalists, we follow the Talmud. It is our common law, end quote. If they're a Jew, and if they claim Judaism, whether they know it or not, their book of faith, and they probably know it, is the Talmud. Now, granted, they may not know that's all that's in that great myriad of books, but that is their law of faith. Notice it didn't say the Old Testament. certainly didn't say the New Testament. The Talmud is the circulating blood of modern-day Judaism, and the Talmud, in at least three places that I know of, promotes the deception of, by the Jews specifically of Christianity or of Christians. Let me share with you now once again from one, from one place in the protocols that I believe is again another remarkable admission on their part in this work. Protocol number, number seven, this will be Article 2, sentences five and six. Listen carefully. In quote, In order to succeed in this, we must use great cunning and penetration during negotiations and agreements. But as regards what is called the official language, we shall keep to the opposite tactics and assume the mask of honesty and compliancy. In this way, the peoples and governments of the Goyim, whom we have taught to look only at the outside, whatever, whatever we present to their notice, will still continue to accept us as the benefactors and saviors of the human race. Why would it be hard to convince the average Joe in the corner that, the, that those denunciations made of the Pharisees by Yahshua will still fit the Jews today? Did you catch the words cunning, penetration, Assume. Did you also catch where it said, the Goyim whom we have taught to look only on the outside? Compare that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, the chapter in the New Testament that has more of those ostracizing denunciations made by Yahshua. The most critical chapter probably in the Bible the most critical language and uttered from the mouth of Yahshua and specifically at the Pharisees, scribes, and lawyers. Listen to verses 25 through 28 in light of what we just read in the Talmud. Again, the Talmud in the, in the Talmud, in Protocol 7, it said, the Goyim whom we have taught to look only on the outside. End quote. Verse 25, Matthew chapter 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you claim the outside of the cup and the dish but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Verse 28, even so you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Why? You know, I wonder sometimes, why do, the, why do the, the Jews today get so upset with some of the things that Yahshua say when they admit it themselves? 
course, they admitted this to themselves for themselves, not for you and I to hear and read. That's why, again, for any any uh, goyim uh, found caught with it in a possession in New York, I mean in New York City, they're they're sent to the, the insane asylum. They want the world to think that they've got a real beef with Yahshua the Christ and that these things, that 80% of the things Yahshua said should be wiped out of the Bible. But anybody who studied into it knows that they admit it all themselves. You know, could it so, could this really be true that the Jews are portraying themselves as one thing when in fact they're just the opposite? Well, for you who happen to think that the Jews are, are the persecuted and downtrodden, benevolent do-gooders of societies, society, I submit the following quotes. And these are quotes, these are not quotes, none of these quotes are quotes from non-Jews about Jews. There are certainly some that could be used, such as from Henry Ford Sr., Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, and many others as well. But it's, it's, none of the quotes I'm going to share with you are from non-Jews about Jews. These are all quotes from Jews about, about themselves. Going forward, and going, starting, starting back and going forward in time, this is a Goldwyn Smith who was professor of modern history at Oxford in 1881. He said, quote, We regard our race as superior to, to humanity and look forward not to its ultimate union with other races, but its triumph over them, end quote. That was 1881. From the Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion, again, from 1897, one place in Protocol Number 9, Article 3, Sentence 4, it reads, And the weapons of our hands are limitless ambitions, burning greediness, merciless vengeance, hatreds, and malice, end quote. Here is Maurice, or excuse me, here is Dr. Oscar Levi in 1920 who said, We Jews who have posed as saviors of the world, we are today nothing else but the world's seducers, its destroyers, its incendiaries, its executioners, end quote. Remember the protocol I read to you earlier, how they said we want to, we want to, we appear out on the outside, we appear to look good to the world so that we can continue to, continue to make them believe that we're the saviors of the world? Oscar Levi shared the exact same thing. Indeed, they're just the opposite. Here's Maurice Samuel in 1924. He says, We Jews, we, the destroyers, will remain destroyers forever. Nothing you will do will meet our needs and demands. We will forever destroy because we need a world of our own. End quote. Professor, here's Professor F.A. Os Osendowski of 1926. He said, It is surprising that Judaism should become the fermenting and destructive, excuse me, is it? surprising that Judaism should become the fermenting and destructive element in countries which have always despised and persecuted it. That peculiar facility for intrigue, stratagem, conspiracies, and that patient, almost uncanny, waiting for the hour of never-failing revenge are all characteristics of the chosen people, end quote. Again, a title, of course, that we know that they falsely claim. Here's Marcus Eli Ravage in 1928. Quote, you have not begun to appreciate the depth of our guilt. We are intruders. We are subverters. We have taken your natural world, your ideal, ideals, your destiny, and played havoc with them. We have been at the bottom of not merely the latest great war, but of every other major revolution in your history. We have brought discord and confusion and frustration into your personal and public life. We are still doing it. No one can tell how long we shall go on doing it. Who knows what great and glorious destiny might have been yours if we had left you alone, end quote. Going forward in time, Dr. M. Messonson in 1930, lecturing at Cape Town, South Africa, July 2nd, 1930, is reported in the Cape Town Times. He said, quote, I warn the world that if it does not keep the faith with us, there are 16 million Jews who will be filled again with the hate hatred which has released so many great destructions against the Christian world, end quote. Samuel Roth later said, We come to the nations pretending to escape persecution, and we are the most deadly persecutors in all the wretched annals of man, end quote. And then lastly, right here in, 1990, in, in last year, 1999, Aaron Zellman had this, had this to say, 
The most vocal of liberal Jewish anti-gunners do indeed understand why they want Americans disarmed as it is a crucial step for total control of people's lives and destiny, which is the ultimate goal of the liberal political agenda. You know, many of the quotes that claim that I shared with you from the Jewish sources that claim that Phariseeism of Yahshua's time is nothing, nothing else but Judaism of our time were quotes maybe a little bit far back. Somebody would say, well, those quotes sure go far, far back. I really wonder if the Jews really make all those claims today. Well, I brought you, forth, brought you uh, forward in history from the late 1800s on up to just last year where the Jews themselves claim that they are the destroyers the murderers of all society. But that is their goals and that is their claims. And I think you can now begin to understand or hopefully our people as this message hopefully continues to get out further and further will hopefully begin to understand why Yahshua said, Beware. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. You know, not only does Phariseeism exist today, but so do the Pharisees. And the Pharisees and their beliefs and doctrines and teachings are, are as corrupt, if not more so, than they were at the time of Yahshua. What did Yahshua, I believe it's in Matthew 23, also say? Didn't he say that their proselytes become twice the sons of hell as they? And that's what we have today, the proselytes. If anything else, our people need to be given that warning with even more urgency and what Yahshua gave it there in the first century. They are still here, and regretfully, so many don't even realize they're in our midst. And their leaven has taken, is, is taking effect. Thus, Yahshua's warning to beware of the leavening effect is just as pertinent, if not more so, today than even when he gave it in the first century. This message is really meant to be the introduction to the message or, or the, the next message or the next two messages that I'll be bringing on the leavening effect of the Pharisees in our society today. Because not only do we need to know that they're there, not only do we need to not, not only do, do we need to heed the warning to beware, but we need to know where they're at and how they're doing it. Is that leavening effect actually happening today? Has it happened in the past and is it happening today? We need to know how and where it's happening. Our people need to be alerted to it that we sometime might be able to deal with it and do something about it as a people. So this will be the introduction to next, next week's message, possibly the one following. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we are thankful again to you for your omniscience and our omnipotence, your all-powerful hand in all things. Lord, we ask that you would in your power and in your knowledge and understanding that you would deal with the enemies of, of Christianity, the enemies of Christ himself, in an effective and final manner as we look forward in the future. We know that that will happen. We look, we look forward to that day of victory. In the meantime, we ask that you'd use us to enlighten others that they might see and that they might beware themselves of the leaven of the Pharisees. Use us, Lord, to preach and proclaim not only this, but the gospel of Joshua the Christ, the gospel of the kingdom in its fullest extent. Let this not be used just to condemn others, Father, but instead to bring others to the light of the gospel, to the cross, to the death, the burial, and resurrection of Joshua the Christ. We look to you as our God and our King in him. And through him, Joshua the Christ, our Savior, that we pray. Amen.